Welcome to the sermon podcast from Compass Church. In this Palm Sunday message from March 28, 2021, Pastor Craig Kidder pulls from Psalms, Isaiah, and the Gospels to show how King Jesus breaks into our world to fundamentally change the way we think about, relate to, and use power. For more information, head to compassefc.com. Change. Change. Why is sometimes change easy? And why is sometimes change the hardest thing ever? Anybody in here still using Windows 95? Anybody? It's okay. It's a judgment-free zone. All right. Anybody? No. Right? If you think about it, that's kind of a big change, right? Like your computer, your operating system, you just make a massive change. So why do we... You know, I mean, maybe, like, well, we changed Windows 95 because we were being marketed things. Okay, how about this? Anybody have clothes from 1995 they still wear? Yeah, more. More, right? That old college hoodie. Certainly clothes are being marketed toward us. So why did we change in one area, but we didn't change in another area? Why is change sometimes easy, and why is change sometimes hard? There, there's a parable that we talk about that is kind of aimed to like help us understand this. Uh, maybe you've heard it. It's the frog in boiling water. Have you guys heard about the frog in boiling water? Yeah, so uh, no one stopped to ask, like, why are we boiling frogs in water? Like, I don't know. But, but there's this theory out there that talks about change, and it's like a frog in boiling water. And I think that it goes something like, you know, how do you boil a frog in water? Well, if you put it in scalding hot water... It will just jump out right away. But if you want to boil a frog in water, you slowly turn the heat up, and eventually the frog will just be comfortable and get used to it. And Right? right? Again, why are we boiling frogs? I don't know. You guys, anybody heard that? Okay. Wild thing I learned this week, that's not true. Okay? Just think about it for a second. I grew up in New England, okay, where lobster is $3.99 a pound, okay? It's not $3.99 a pound here because I was like, oh, let's get lobster. And it was like $30 for a frozen tail. So I'm not trying to be like elitist here. It's, it's cheap where I grew up, okay? Uh, if you take a, a lobster and just drop it in a boiling pot, it dies, all right? And I, probably the same is true with a frog, right? Like there's nothing to jump. It's going to just ah, freak out and die. But if you, if, you leave a, a, if you leave a frog in water, if you keep turning it up, it's going to get uncomfortable and get out of the, of the pot. See, the, the, that parable was meant to say something like, yeah, yeah, we don't like to change all of a sudden. We'd rather gradually change. Maybe that's not true, too. Why do some changes take off and others just kind of die on the vine? Instagram. Anybody in here have Instagram? Instagram came out the same year Google Plus shut down. Okay, everybody remember Google Plus? Think about it. It's a social network made by Google. Okay, it had all the ingredients to be awesome, yet that idea died, but everyone bought onto this totally unheard of app, and it changed really kind of the, nobody reads books anymore, right? Because they're just pictures, and it changed us. Why is change hard sometimes and change easy other times? See, Palm Sunday is all about change. Palm Sunday is a fork in the road. 
Palm Sunday is the culmination of what started earlier in Luke's gospel. In Luke 9.51, Luke tells us that Jesus set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. He says, I am headed there. And today what we call Palm Sunday is what happens when God is on the march to rescue his people. Isaiah prophesied about this day. It said, salvation came riding in. Not a savior, salvation. His very act of coming in changes everything. And yet, the crowds, the very crowds who were cheering for him, who were rooting him on, less than a week later, were demanding he be crucified. Why? How could Jesus go viral one moment and then be shut down the next? Change. Jesus ran into a a social network, not like Instagram, like a, a network of relationships and people who had the most to lose from Jesus changing things, and so they shut everything down. We're going to read in just a second this story, and the story ends with, it's violent, actually. It ends with a tone of violence, like that people are going to be dashed against rocks. And we read that, and we're like, what? As we read it, Listen carefully to who the subject of that sentence is. Okay, when it says, who's going to do the violence? Okay, let's read really carefully. It's not God, it's the they. Change is hard because Jesus, Jesus, here's what he's doing on Palm Sunday. He's offering us a totally new way to relate to power. Noam Chomsky once said, postmodernism is a philosophy that's just about moving power around. All right? And Jesus came to fundamentally change the way we think about and relate to and use power. And what happens is the religious leaders chose to trust the devil they knew and rejected the God. I'm not going to use the, you know, the phrase, the devil you know versus the devil. They trust the God that they didn't know. And the lesson here is, is that what G, Psalm 118 is all throughout Luke 19. Psalm 118 permeates this passage. And Psalm 118, Psalm 118, excuse me, 118 is trying to answer the question, how is God for us in a wild world? And Jesus answers that. He says this, I'm going to go first. I'm going to come and lay down my life for you. I'm going to come as a sacrifice for you. And that changes power. We sang, we sang this morning. Were you not with me when we were singing? All honor and power. In this day, on Palm Sunday, Israel was under Roman occupation. And they hated it. And they wanted a liberator, but they wanted a liberator 
like Rome. They wanted someone to come in with the violence and overthrow Rome. And Jesus said, I'm going to come in and there's going to be violence, but I'm going to take on that violence for myself. He changed the way we relate to power and thereby the way we use power. Christianity is not about asserting us, about asserting ourselves. We are disciples of him who died for his enemy. Massive change. No one ever got argued into the kingdom. No one ever got fought into the kingdom. What Jesus is saying is people get loved into the kingdom. There is sacrifice. And if we're going to say yes to Jesus, if we're going to follow Jesus, we are following him on a road of surrender. But we're not going alone. He's going first. And what we see is that those of us with the most to lose are the most resistant to change. So Palm Sunday is fundamentally a fork in the road. Will we say yes to Jesus and head down a road that resembles our own death? Or will we trust the devil we know? So we're going to read, we're going to open your Bibles to Luke 19. Luke 19. If you uh, go about three quarters of the way through your Bible, there's a blank page. That's the start of the New Testament. And then it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 19. Not 18, not 20, 19. Luke 19. Starting in verse 28, Luke 19, 28. Oh, would you stand with me as we read God's word? After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you'll find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you... 
even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is the word of the Lord. God. God, we we need your help this morning. We need your spirit. God, we, we need to see Jesus as he is God. God, take all of us to that fork in the road, that decision point of saying yes to Jesus, of continuing to say yes to Jesus, or recognizing what it is we're asking for when we tell you we'd rather go on our own. God, I pray, I pray that your spirit would enable us to see the king in his beauty and that we would all say yes to Jesus and experience his transforming love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. If you and I lived in Jerusalem, you would, you would recognize a lot of the places that were mentioned here, and we'd all of a sudden recognize the significance of it. But we live in Columbia, Missouri, and that's kind of hard. So Columbia, Missouri doesn't really have a skyline. Uh, my best friend pastors in Lodi, New Jersey, which is just over the George Washington Bridge from New York. We're visiting him recently, uh, like pre-COVID, okay? Like time is... Yeah, recently, okay? So we're visiting him, and we're talking about some of his struggles and living in the city and how hard it was. And I remember it was kind of like a movie. We're driving. I'm like, man, like, so tell me, what is it that keeps you here? Why do you love living here? And we drove around this corner, and then you could see the whole New York skyline. And he's like, this? This is amazing. I love this. If you were to live in Jerusalem during Jesus' day, and if you were to have that moment with your friend and you were to drive around the corner, the skyline you would see would not be city lights. It would be mountains. And it would be beautiful. What Missourians call mountains, we, there's some question about that. But, you know, it, they'd be real mountains, okay, and really beautiful. And one of those mountains would be the Mount of Olives, all right? And the Mount of Olives had deep, deep, deep significance for the people of Israel, It's actually kind of funny. So in Zechariah 9, Zechariah prophesies that the Messiah is going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. And when he touches down, he's going to split the mountain in two. Whoa! Right? Which explains why the state of Israel gave the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints a 50-year lease. So there's a a Brigham Young extension campus on the Mount of Olives. And you're like, why did they do that? It's because they're funny. Like, yeah, you can have that property. You know, if Messiah comes, it's not going to be worth very much, but you can have it, right? Mount of Olives has deep, deep, deep significance in Israel's history. Israel had a hero, and that hero's name was David. David was able to gather all of Israel from being all these tribes into a kingdom, all right? And so he gathers them all and he makes Jerusalem the capital. But what happens? His son Absalom rebels against him. And he tries to take over the throne from his father. And so we already see, man, this guy's not the ultimate hero. We thought he'd save the day, but he's running away 
in shame and disgrace. And do you know where he runs? He runs up the Mount of Olives. And he's, and interestingly enough, do you know what animal he's riding on as he runs away? Second Samuel 15 and 16 tell us he's riding on a donkey. Israel's true hero, their George Washington, their Superman, left Jerusalem in shame over the Mount of Olives on a donkey. Jesus now sets the stage to where he says, I'm coming back, I'm coming to rescue Israel, and I'm coming back like you saw your hero leave. I'm a new king, and I'm coming here in power to rule and to reign and to set things right. Now, a lot of us fixate on the donkey. They're like, yeah, he came on a donkey. What does that mean? Uh, Lyndon Johnson, uh, he lived in a time in, in the West Hill country of Texas where uh, people rode horses to get to school. So Lyndon's like nine years old. All his classmates are riding horses, okay? And Lyndon has to ride a donkey. And he's like, this is so lame. I'm super embarrassed. Even as a young kid, he like craved and loved power. And he thought it was super lame. And then a teacher, to make him feel better, said, well, Jesus rode into town on a donkey. Now Lyndon's better than all his classmates. What's happening here, though? What's happening when Jesus rides in on a donkey? See, the significance is not necessarily in the fact that Jesus is coming in on a donkey and that that's a beast of burden and that he's coming in in humility. That's not true. Uh, in 1 Kings 9, Solomon rode into Jerusalem on a donkey as well. Okay, so it's not, it's, it's not unheard of for kings to ride donkeys. However, it is a statement about how God shows up when he shows up. This is Julius Caesar. This is his war horse, okay? Now, I want you to imagine with me, you're like a first century peasant living in the Roman Empire, and you see that dude, that dude, he's got a tiger for a saddle, okay? I don't know about you, but you're like, yo, how did that dude, that dude killed a tiger. That dude is so tough, he's like, oh, I need a saddle. What do I do? I'll just kill a tiger. Tigers can eat people. Do you know that these are very dangerous animals, all right, my son is obsessed with, with animals right now. We're watching a lot of like nature, like, and, and, like documentaries, and like polar bears hunt people. Tigers, if provoked, will kill people, okay? He's riding in on a tiger. He's like, no big deal. What's that meant to do to us? It's meant to scare us. It's meant to say, hey, here's where power lies, and if you get out of hand, I kill tigers for fun, Okay? Jesus does not ride in to Jerusalem on a war horse with a tiger for a saddle. Jesus rides in to Jerusalem on a donkey with his disciples' coats for a saddle. Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, when we piece the story together, we recognize that the people who Jesus had surrounded himself with were poor. When Jesus comes in power, he's not coming now to bang heads together and to come as a top-down authority figure. He's changing the rules of how we relate to power. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus is coming as a ruler 
He's asking for our allegiance, but he's saying how I am a ruler is just as important as the fact that I am a ruler. And he's changing the rules. Look, that's important. How we are together is just as important as what we do together. Let me say that again. How we are together is just as important as what we do together. Jesus is showing us a new way to be human. We, we don't have to think very far. We don't have to use very much imagination to think about how we have unhealthy relationships to power. Imagine the, the workplace. When someone gets a new idea in your office about how to do something more efficiently, do they run and just share it with everybody? Or do they keep it to themselves because they want to make sure that they get the credit for it and then that they get fast-tracked to a promotion? See, Jesus doesn't work that way. He's the one with real power, who's really in charge, who has real authority, and he's coming to offer himself as a servant, as a sacrifice. He, he, look, the way, the posture that Jesus has entering into Jerusalem, what happens? He comes into the city, and what's the very first thing he does? What's the very first thing he does? That's not rhetorical. I'll wait. I heard it. I heard it. He cries. He comes into Jerusalem and he cries. God is not only offering a new way to relate to power, he's also not indifferent. Psalm, Psalm 118. Let me, just, let me just read it to you. Let me just read parts of it to you. This is Psalm 118. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. Then the end of the, the, end of the, end of the chapter. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we will bless you. All right? The Lord is for me. The Palm Sunday opens with Jesus making arrangements to go into the city. He's all by himself. His disciples have no idea what's going on. There's no social pressure on Jesus to head into Jerusalem. He's doing this because of Luke 9.51. He said he set his face like flint. He says, I'm headed there. And there's all these like logistical obstacles in the way, and he takes care of those logistical obstacles. Why? Because God is not impassionately indifferent toward you. God is for you. And, and look, Jesus says this in John's gospel. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. If Jesus wanted a way out, logistics could have been the easiest way out. Uh, there's a pilgrimage right now headed into Jerusalem. It's crowded. We'll do this another time, guys. No. He is for us and he is resolved. He is resolved to rescue us. Do you know why? Because the Christian, the Christian message 
is not good advice. It's good news. We, we, we believe, we, that's where the word gospel comes from. It comes from the word good news. Jesus come, came to offer us good news. That, that phrase was used in the Roman Empire. When, when an emperor would conquer a city, they would send a marathon runner up ahead of them to the next city. And that, that marathon runner would be called the evangelist. And they would announce to that next city, hey, a king won over there, just so you know, things might look a little different. The world has changed a little bit. Here's the news that they won. Christianity is not a 12-step program. Not that there's anything wrong with 12-step programs. Christianity is not three steps to being a better dad, better roommate, better husband. Christianity is good news. And that good news is that God is for us. And, and he leaves us a choice. The choice is up to us. He brings us to the fork in the road and says, here's what I'm offering you. This is really good news. Have you ever wondered why we wave palm trees on Good Friday? This, I have no idea how to work it in my notes. This is just free, free observation, okay? The palm trees came because during the Feast of Tabernacles, during the Feast of Tabernacles, the Israelites were supposed to live in tents, to remind them, like, hey, we live in the desert, just like Israel lived in the desert. It was a physical reminder of, like, hey, we were once strangers in the land. Let's live like strangers in the land. Uh, and then they were also to take, like, things you found in the desert, like palm trees, and offer them as praise to Jesus. Okay? So the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Booths, you're supposed to gather all these palm trees and offer them as a sacrifice to God. Say, hey, we love you. This is a reminder of where you brought us from. You brought us on an exodus. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem... And they start waving palm trees. What, what's being communicated here is lead us on an exodus. Get us out of here. We don't like Rome. We're sick and tired of Rome. We want out. But what happens? What happens? How do we get to a week later where these folks are trying to kill Jesus? Jesus ran into a system, a structure of power that benefited from the way things were. Jesus was, they understood. He was offering a new way to be human, a new way to do things. And they were like, knock this off. It says the religious leaders, it said that they scolded Jesus. What that means, the language of that is, is not that they were like, that they were uh, like pulled him aside gently and were like, hey, uh, I don't know if you know this, but like you're claiming to be God, come to rescue people. No, it says that they were just indignant, filled with rage and lacked self-control and just ran up and started screaming at Jesus. They had this deep emotional reaction. Why? Because change is hard when we stand to lose the most. Not many of us lost a lot when it came from moving to Windows 95 to Windows 98. It was a little inconvenient. But remember, Madonna did the commercial. It was kind of cool, right? It was exciting. There was a cool new boo sound, right? These religious leaders knew there was a lot to lose. And so they said, we're going to stick with the gods we know. 
So what happens after Jesus weeps? Oh, by the way, Matthew's gospel adds this detail that Jesus said to Jerusalem as he's weeping over Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. But what? You were not willing. You were not willing. Following Jesus comes with a choice. He gives us the choice to say yes or to say no. He's not going to make us go on this journey with him. We have a choice. And that's why the end of that passage, it rings with irony, but we're going to just, let me just read it for you again. He approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. Remember that, just a second. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and will encircle you and hem you in on every side. I, this is important for the folks at home. You guys have to help me out really, be really loud. When it says, blank will dash you on the ground. On the count of three, everyone read what that word is. One, two, three. They will dash you on the ground. Here's the significance of that. The enemy Jesus is talking about is Rome. And what he predicted happening right there exactly happened in 70 AD when Emperor Titus marched against Jerusalem and he laid siege to the city for three months. He starved them out and then he heads in, destroys the temple, burns it down and kills the lower section of Jerusalem. Here's what, it's, it's awful, but it's, it's God taking his hands off the reins. The religious leaders said, Jesus, we don't want you. Rebuke your disciples for trying to set you up as king. And Jesus weeps because he's like, you, you don't really know what you're asking for. It's kind of like, it's, there's echoes of the Old Testament story of when they wanted Saul to be king. Israel wanted Saul to be king. He says, you can have a king like the nations, but he's going to treat you like the nations. He's going to tax you a lot. He's going to take your daughters. There's going to be violence. You're going to go to war. If you want that, and they're like, we want that. Okay. Right now, the religious leaders are saying, we want Rome. We don't want Jesus. We want Rome. We don't want this self-sacrifice, this love, this son of God coming to serve. We would rather stick with Rome. And it makes Jesus weep. He weeps over this city because like, you don't know what you're asking for. What we win them with, we win them to. What we win them with, we win them to. If your Christianity is just Facebook fights, okay, what we win them with, we win them to. Let's just say, let's just say, I've never seen it happen, but let's just, let's, we can dream, right? Let's say you have been fighting with your uncle on Facebook, all right? And you argue with him and you beat him down with arguments. And finally, your uncle, he just, Uncle Bob, Uncle Bob relents. You're right, I'm wrong, you win. You have just won Uncle Bob, most likely you have won Uncle Bob over to now he needs to go out and win arguments. How we are is just as important as what we 
are. And what we win them with, we win them to. We are living in an age where American Christians, some of them, have forgotten who we are. We are not, we are not people who go around fighting other people. There is one place, there is one place in the Bible, this is, there's one place in the Bible that talks about a battle that we fight, okay? And this is, I'm just going to quote Daryl Bach here. This is how, this is how that, that Paul talks about that battle, okay? He says this, so culture war, here's what he says, our battle is not, our battle is not, 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 not against flesh and blood. Okay? If I did that and it, it was even and it canceled it out, I'm sorry. You don't, have to, you don't have to have gone to graduate school to figure out. That's pretty emphatic. We're not fighting other people. People are not the enemies. People are victims of the enemies. We don't have to go, if we go around fighting and winning people over to our side with a fight, we have just won more culture warriors. Christianity really is good news, and it's good news for people who don't like us. It's good news for people we don't like. It's good news. We cannot go around saying, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus, Jesus on Palm Sunday says, everybody, these are your neighbors. He heads into a city knowing they like me now, but they will not like me soon. And he weeps for that city. Do we weep for Columbia? Or are we just agitated and annoyed and we bite our tongues for Columbia? How we are together is just as important as what we do together. Palm Sunday is an invitation to a new posture. It's about seeing what Jesus did, what he offered, and saying yes, receiving, and then following him on the same path. It's about laying down our lives. And he kept saying this throughout his whole ministry. Remember, he's washing his disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter. And he's, and he's like, hey, do this also. We follow in him. That's what it means to have Jesus as a rabbi. We're with our rabbi and we do what our rabbi did. There's a story, I think it's about Thomas. Uh, as he went to India. And uh, he was met with hostility after he headed to India. And he said, it's okay. It's okay, I'm just doing what my rabbi did. Christianity is not about fighting culture wars. Christianity is about following a savior who laid down his life so that others could experience this good news. Christianity is an invitation to good news. Not an invitation to fight. The war is over. Jesus took it upon himself. And when we come in ready to fight, we look more like this guy 
than we do like the humble Savior who rode into Bethlehem on a donkey. Our posture deeply, deeply matters. That doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that things aren't important. That doesn't mean there aren't things that go bump in the night. Please don't misunderstand me. That we, we as Christians, we have a responsibility to speak truth to power. Okay? Whoever's in power, whatever political party is in power, we have a responsibility to speak truth to power. And we are disciples of one who died for his enemies. August 1949, we're in Montana. A group of elite firefighters called smoke jumpers are skydiving through the air. They're headed toward the Man Gulch. It was a wild, it was a wildfire, and they estimated that they'd be able to put it out in just a couple of hours. But one day later, half of those smoke jumpers would be dead, and the fire would still be raging. So they skydive down, they head in, they head close to the Missouri River, and they start digging um, a, a, like a gulf to try to redirect the fire away and have it away from trees and toward the river. But quickly they move from fight to flight as they see like flames that are 30 feet up in the air. Uh, some historians have said that those flames were able to travel the length of two football fields in a minute. So they really quickly, they just grab their gear and they book it. And they're running through knee-high grass and they're trying to just get away from these flames. When their foreman, a guy named Wagner Dodge, you got to be a firefighter in Montana with a name like that. Wagner Dodge did something that totally shocked and surprised everyone. He took out his matchbook and he started throwing it around the knee-high dry grass. He started setting more fires. And there was one guy who was running with him who was like, what in the world is the boss doing? And he's like, do this, do this. And he's setting another fire. And they're like, what, what are you doing? He's like, trust me, trust me. We have to do this to escape. So they clear out some brush. A big fire starts raging. And what he does is he takes uh, his water canteen, dumps it in his handkerchief, puts it over his face, and lies down on the ground. And he, he, they breathe the oxygen while the fire goes over them. Some of them died, but there were about four of them who survived. And there was a trial, and they were testifying under oath, and they said, like, what, what happened? And they're like, this guy, Wagner Dodge, totally saved our lives because he was able to change on the fly. I went through firefighter training, and there was, not me, I mean, the, the, the guy testifying, there was no, like, set an escape fire class. He just intuitively knew, we're not going to be able to run this. We've got to clear an area. Let's clear the area and let's adjust. Let's change. Some of the firefighters, though, couldn't comprehend that. Uh, many of them they found up the ravine later that they, just, they didn't listen to their foreman and ducked down. They ran and they had all their gear with them. They couldn't let their gear go. And many have estimated if they, they may have gotten away, but they should have dropped their gear. All they needed to do was drop the gear and they would be able to run faster. But they couldn't get it into their heads. Like, we're firefighters. We have this gear. We came here with this gear. We got it. They couldn't change. 
They couldn't adjust. But the ones who were able to change and adjust and follow this guy who's saying, I'm doing this, you trust me, there's safety here, will live. Jesus is offering us life. And that life comes with surrender. But he's not saying, hey, you, you, you go do this. He's saying, I'll go first. I'll lay down my life. We're following someone who's not just demanding, but someone who gave. Christianity is fundamentally about receiving. It's fundamentally about this is what God has come and done for us. Will we, will we receive that or not? And the warning at the end of this chapter that Jesus gives is God will always give us what we want. They wanted Rome. Jesus says, I, uh, okay, you can have Rome. You've been warned, but you can have Rome. Will we say yes to Jesus? The world is changing, has changed. It's, it's, it's a different world, the world we live in. Following Jesus now does not look like what following Jesus did in 1995. Our God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the questions have changed. It's hard. It's challenging. It feels like tensions are really high. What does it look like to be people of peace? Blessed are the peacemakers. What does it look like to follow Jesus? It starts with surrender. It starts with taking on this posture that he offered us. He says, I am for you. I am purposely coming to Jerusalem. I'm headed here. And the question today is, will we say yes to Jesus? What's keeping you from saying yes to Jesus today? See, if we keep reading in Luke's gospel, for the Pharisees, it was money. That's why Jesus goes in the temple and flips over the money changers. I like just imagine Jesus like listening to like Thunderstruck by like ACDC. He's like, thunder! Like he's just getting mad, right? And it's like amping up. And he just heads into it and he just flips things over. He's ticked. Why? Because the Ezekiel's, Ezekiel's prophecy, remember? Ezekiel's up on the mountain and he watches the Spirit of God leave the temple. What happened? They put a new God in the temple. Money. And who did that hurt the most? Gentiles and poor people. And Jesus was ticked. What do we want? If we want power... If we want money, if we want status, we can get it. But it always comes at a cost. It always comes at a cost. He will not violate our free will. He respects our autonomy and ability to make decisions. John Calvin. Not really, just kidding. We love John Calvin. He respects, our, he respects our choices, but he also respects our choices. What's keeping us from saying yes to Jesus today? Father,
Change is hard. Father, surrender is not easy. But the one asking us to surrender first gave us everything. Father, I pray, I pray that we would say yes to Jesus. I pray that whatever is keeping us from that total surrender, you would help us to see that and to call us into the safety and the big sky country of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. This sermon is part of the ministry of Compass Evangelical Free Church in Columbia, Missouri. We seek to be a church where Christ's love is at work transforming lives through the power of the Spirit to the glory of God. For more information, check out compassefc.com.